We so thank you for joining us at Connections Podcast. We, as educators of human connection, invite and encourage healing and facilitate personal growth through impeccable honesty, rigorous personal responsibility, and vulnerable humility. We invite everyone who's interested in gaining greater connection with oneself, others, and God to continue on your educational road to happiness and joy through our simple yet life-changing three-step curriculum. First, search our library for personal learning, podcasts, videos, and workbooks. Second, register with our classroom for familial, parental, expert, and business classes. And third, join our community for personal coaching and group practicums. Thank you again and enjoy our podcast. Hello and welcome to Connections Classroom Podcast. And I want to talk today about choice and children. So how to teach children to one, understand that they have this incredible power called choice. And then also how to teach them, how to teach these children, how to use choice and how to shoot their choice and then realize that there's always outcomes that follow the choices that they make. So very important concepts. So many of us have children and we are not conscious about very, you know, being very deliberate with them about the power of choice. They make choices and we oftentimes, um, enable those choices. We cover those choices up. We don't allow them to see that there's outcomes or what many people, um, relate to consequences, uh, for those choices. And so as a child is being reared, whatever age, they do not appreciate that when they choose, which they will always do, that you cannot not choose. So when children make a choice, there's always, always an outcome, always. And the, the always part about the outcome is that they will be emotionally affected the child, whatever age the child is. So when I say child, I'm thinking of, you know, birth to 18. Okay. Call them a child or a teen. The child will always have an emotional response to the choice that they're making always. And then the other thing is that if they make a choice and it involves another human being, which oftentimes our choices do either directly or indirectly, then they will always have an emotional outcome from the other human being too. So choice produces outcomes. And with every choice, there's always an emotional response from the choice or to the choice or because of the choice for the child. And then also with the person that they've been interacting with. Um, and again, either directly or indirectly. I mean, I might make a choice to, um, uh, not put the car in park and all of a sudden I get out and it starts rolling down the hill. Now it hasn't affected anyone yet. And I see that it's, it's rolling right towards a house. And so you can imagine that whether, uh, 
there are people directly in its path or whether there's no one home. Someone owns that house and there's going to be damage done to not only the house, but also the car and heaven knows what else it might run over in its pathway to hit that house. But you can see that people are going to be affected because people own homes and people own cars and people own uh, property and maybe bicycles that it has run over on its pathway to hitting the house. So people are attached to these items and they are going to be affected emotionally because I made a choice and I did not put the car in park and uh, was not aware that the slight decline that I was sitting on uh, would cause the car to take flight. (laughs) So... All of us, when we choose, there are outcomes. And it is imperative as a parent or a mentor or a teacher or a coach or a spiritual advisor, anyone who has charge with children, it is imperative that we teach children that they, they do choose and that there are consequences and outcomes. And the first outcome that always happens is emotionally, is emotionally. So when they make a choice, they will be emotionally impacted. And then others will be impacted as well. And then oftentimes there are tangible consequences that follow those emotional consequences. But I just wanted to make it really clear that there are always emotional consequences that follow choice. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate, um, as I work with people in my practice that very, very few children understand for heaven's sakes, very few adults understand <laughs> that when they choose, there is always an emotional response an outcome that is attached and tied to that choice. But because we don't put too much weight on emotions, uh, few people point that out. So I'm here to keep underscoring that. There's always an emotional reaction slash response to the choices we make. And it is your responsibility as parents and people who are responsible for children to teach them that they do choose And when they choose, there will be an emotional response for them and then oftentimes for others. And then this other kind of consequence, which often follows choice, is some kind of tangible consequence. So, you know, the car goes down the hill, it hits the house, and now I have not only emotional outcomes of everyone who saw it, the neighbors, the people in the house, the people who own the house, (laughs) the police, uh, any other, uh, you know, maybe my extended family, they have to put in their emotional two cents as well and how they've been impacted. Um, all sorts of people get impacted. Um, and then there's this tangible outcome such as paying money to fix the house and fix the car. And I need to work, uh, more now at my, you know, seven, seven dollar an hour job, um, because I'm only uh, 16 years old and now I have a car and a house to pay for because I just, 
um, ran my parents' car into the front door of the neighbor's home. So choice is a powerful gift, and it is a... um, a gift that all of us need to use much more conscientiously because um, it has a lot of power. And part of the power is because of the outcomes that follow. So when I have an outcome, it is my opportunity from that outcome to learn, to learn about my choice and to make a different choice next time. Or I may choose to not learn from my choice and continue to make the same mistake, make the same choice again, um, because I was unwilling to, to learn and to humble and choose to uh, make a different choice the next time. So the power of choice has also been called free will or agency. These labels connote the ability to make autonomous decisions, to judge between alternatives to choose truth or distortion, to govern oneself, and to experience the outcomes of choices made. Because you possess the power of choice, because children possess the power of choice, in reality, children are always capable of choosing how they will perceive, what they'll think, and how they'll behave. So how they'll behave independently of whatever else is going on outside of you. So you've got to teach children that choice is about um, understanding outcomes. And because they possess this power to choose, they're always uh, capable of choosing what they're going to perceive and what they're going to think and how they'll react or how they'll behave independent of what else is going on outside of you. So that's a very important concept that they are responsible to understand that. And, and again, children come into the world, they don't understand anything. And so really it's our responsibility as the adults slash the parents in their life to teach them that the power of choice also means that you are 100% responsible for the outcomes of every perception, every thought, every motive, every behavior, every action that you choose. So when I say you're hundred percent responsible, those are the outcomes When you choose, you're 100% responsible for the outcomes that get created and how you perceive, what you think, what your motives are, how you uh, behave and the action that you choose. In other words, you will become the type of being you choose to become. You are always choosing. It it is as constant as breathing. Even if you choose not to decide or desire not to make a choice, that's still a choice. I mean, some people will say, well, I'm just not going to choose. It's like, well, you just, you just chose. <laughs> the one thing you cannot do is cease to choose. You cannot not choose because the power of choice is at the center of who you are as a human being. Thus, when you choose an honesty, which is integrity, you instantly connect with who you truly are, a being of truth composed of choice and responsibility. So choice is incredibly, incredibly powerful because it gives us this opportunity to, um, learn through these choice points because we have these outcomes and oftentimes, uh, our outcomes are not pleasant (laughs) and maybe it's not often, 
For some people, it's often. Um, and if that's the case where you're often having outcomes you don't like, uh, my guess is, is that you are, you have not learned how to choose, um, more accurately to have outcomes that, uh, create outcomes that are not so unpleasant for you. From the moment a child is born, choice becomes a part of their existence. Though many of us are not or were not taught about our innate power to choose, we all have been blessed with this, with this capacity to create our own particular outcomes. Isn't that cool? We all have this ability to, to create outcomes for ourselves. Dependent on our choice, how we choose to react versus respond, because that's a choice. We can either react to things or we can be thoughtful and respond to things. Uh, uh, dependent on how we choose to perceive, like I will perceive in truth versus fantasize. I will perceive in distortion. So that's a choice that you can make, perceive in truth or, or fantasize and perceive in distortion. Um, how we choose to feel. So acknowledge our emotions, or if we choose to deny, like go into denial and say, I'm not going to feel. It's dependent on how we choose to engage reality versus go into distractions um, versus go into distortions, addictions, and fantasy. It's dependent on how we choose to be or take responsibility for our part. And the truth is we always have a part in the dynamic versus blame others, resent, feel entitled, how we choose to be emotionally honest or be emotionally dishonest and how we choose to humble ourselves, be open, willing, live transparent and full of compassion versus living accusatory, angry, vindictive, unwilling, and always finding fault either in self or others or circumstances. You get to choose all that stuff and much, much, much more. It's all dependent on how you choose to choose. Choice is as constant as breath. Yet how conscious are we about our breath? Just as breath affects the body as a whole, so does our power of choice. We choose to, one, feel the way we do. We choose to think the way we do. We choose to perceive the way we do. We choose to believe the way that we do. We choose to value the things we value the way that we do. We choose to speak the way we do. We choose to act and behave the way we do. We choose to react or respond the way that we do. We choose to learn or not learn. We choose to be influenced and affected. And again, those are just a handful of things. We choose these things. And, you know, I want to make this so concrete for you because you are responsible to teach your children all of these things. Children come and they're just this open, you know, little brain. It's an open slate. There's nothing in it, you know, as far as we know. <laughs> and we are responsible to teach them, to teach them about this power of choice. And so when they, you know, figuratively, we talk about, you know, the child putting their hand on the stove and they burn their hand and then they go, oh my gosh, that's hot. And the parent goes hot, hot. And the child goes hot, hot. And they repeat the word and they learn the word for hot. 
Um, one, because they have this emotional, visceral experience of they burn their hand and it hurts. So when they say the word hot, they think bad <laughs> because I just burned my hand and they learn, they learn. So you are responsible as their mentor, care provider, parent to teach them that they choose. And there always is consequence that follows. It is impossible to stop the power of choice in your life. Some will say, quote, okay, I just won't choose, unquote. Yet that right there is a choice. Choice and its outcomes are constant. And just as your breath, we would cease to exist without them. As long as we're breathing, choice will exist. And with choice always comes outcomes. So why don't we teach our children about this? Uh, you know, this amazing, wonderful power called choice. We seem to ignore choice or be oblivious to it as we go along in life and oftentimes are attempted to control the outcomes that follow either our choices or another person's choices because the consequences are unpleasant or undesirable. Choice is so ubiquitous that it doesn't stand out or demand for attention. However, when choice, either our own or others, is used in ways that cause or create or invite us into outcomes or consequences that are displeasing or difficult or hard or unwanted or sorrowful or are grie grievous, choice becomes more paramount and recognizable. It's a force at this juncture, like you've got to choose. Um, so here's some examples of choice. I eat. And if I eat a lot of calories more than my body can burn off, then I will gain weight. There's choice and, 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 and uh, outcome. If I choose to lie and be dishonest, then the person that I've lied and was dishonest with will not trust me or feel safe with me and may not even want to be my friend. Um, if I ride a bike, I could fall off and skin my knee or hit my head on the sidewalk. If I risk in a relationship, they could leave me. If I choose to be vulnerable, someone could invalidate me. If I act like a victim and act irresponsible, um, the outcome will be that I'm not safe and I won't have connection. If I go outside and don't dress warm in cold weather, then I'll be cold. If I tell someone that I'll be there and do something and then I don't, then the outcome is they're disappointed and they don't trust me and possibly they're angry. You know, so all of these things, there are millions and millions and millions of choices that we make every day. Um, well, not millions every day, but, um, you know, we're making thousands of choices in a day, thousands of them. And how many of them actually rise to your consciousness and give you awareness that you just chose and you just had an outcome? I mean, the other day I was, I was, uh, uh, eating something and, um, I bit my tongue really hard <laughs> and I still have a, uh, sore spot in my mouth. It's like, Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I don't typically do that. Um, but that was choice choice and outcome. I was chewing something, which, you know, I need to do to survive. So it wasn't a bad choice. It was just a choice. And 
for some reason, I bit my tongue. I don't even know why, but that was an outcome. Our responsibility as parents, care providers to children is to prepare them for adulthood. We have 18 years to fully prepare to launch those kids into the world. It's our charge to get them ready for all that will or might be presented to them. And too many children are not being prepared for this life that they're getting ready to have. Yet they are being sheltered and they're being protected from life. So instead of preparing them for life, we're sheltering them and protecting them from life. They're being taught that one, you can choose whatever you want and someone will um, absorb or clean up the outcomes for you, especially when there's pain or discomfort involved. We're teaching kids that there's an endless supply of money and things uh, to pleasure them. We teach them, uh, don't live in reality, always distract yourself. We teach them, you don't really have to grow up and be accountable. You just have to come to me and I'll give you money and I'll enable you and I'll always take care of you. And you can be an adult child if you want. We teach them um, that parents or government or charities or someone will do something for you. Always. That there'll always be someone to take care of you. We teach them that they deserve it. Everyone else's choices should produce the same outcomes. Life should be fair. Oh my gosh, that's a biggie. We are teaching kids that life is fair. Life is not fair. Life is not fair. I mean, look around. Look around. Life is not fair. There's always someone that has a shorter end of the stick than you do. Always. Especially for us here in this affluent country of America. My goodness. We teach them that they're entitled to what everyone else has. We teach them that nothing is their fault and life is being done unto you. We teach them that they don't deserve anything that's uncomfortable, anything that's hard or uneasy or difficult or emotionally distressing. They shouldn't have to experience that stuff. We teach them to focus about themselves, their wants, their feelings, their will, their desires. Me, 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 my pain, my upset. That's what we teach kids in today's world. It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. And when we teach children these messages, we raise them to be narcissistic. Now, if you don't know what narcissism is, go look that up. Because that is a nasty um, outcome. And the reason children are being raised to be so me, egocentric, is because um, we won't allow them to be vulnerable. We don't want them to feel bad or feel hurt or feel sad or have outcomes of choices that they've made. And sometimes they have outcomes of choices that other people have made. Sometimes we or our children are on the receiving end of someone else's choices and we're having outcomes of choices that they've made. Either way, do not take the outcomes away from your children. You can comfort them, you can succor them, you can love them, you can validate them, but do not take away their consequences. I was talking to a mom over the weekend and, you know, it's getting uh, to be Christmas time here and her son has chosen to kind of dink around and not get his homework done. Now this kid is completely capable and he just doesn't want to do his work because it's hard. It's hard. 
He's very talented. Many things just come really easy to him, sports and academics. And, but this particular semester, he's really struggling because things are hard for him. And so he's just not been getting his homework done. So mom shows up at the school unannounced. I love this woman. She is a wonderful parent. She shows up at the school unannounced and he, you know, about swallows his tongue. It's like, mom, why are you here? And she's like, oh, I thought I'd drop in and see what you're doing. So she goes over and talks to the teacher and finds out, you know, where he stands with his grades. And she makes the announcement to her son that if you are not going to get your grades up by this particular date, there will be no Christmas for you. And she told him why she would be doing that, that it's done in love. It's done in the spirit of, um, of, uh, uh, teaching him about the power of choice and outcome. And he just could not believe it. Like he wasn't going to be rewarded for his poor behavior, for his selfish behavior. And I said to this mother, I'm like, wow, if there's any way to duplicate you, because you are an anomaly. Unfortunately, you are an exception. Parents have a very difficult time holding their children accountable because little Sally or little Molly or little Tommy or um, Frank are upset. And the parents have so much codependency with these kids that they take it personal and they want to make sure that their child is not upset. And so they never allow them to feel the outcomes of choices made. So when we teach these children, these kind of messages, we're raising them to be very selfish. We raise them to be incapable of feeling empathy, compassion, regard for others, like positive regard for others. They are incapable of feeling pain because someone has always interrupted that life experience for them. So they don't, they don't, and they can't feel. Therefore, they don't feel for others. Their life experience is so distorted that they believe everything around them and, and everything around, everything around them is there to serve them. You know, that all the people around them are there to wait on them and take care of them and make sure that they aren't uncomfortable. I mean, I know this sounds extreme. However, it is not. We are raising a generation. It's called the millennials. We are raising a generation of incredibly self-centered, disconnected, distracted, controlling children. I cannot believe the disrespect of children in today's world. There once was a time when you called your, your elder, Mr. And Mrs. That doesn't happen anymore. We, the, you know, kids today just feel absolutely, um, entitled, emboldened to call people by their first names. And, you know, I really don't have a problem with somebody calling me by my first name as long as they're respectful. But when I get a person who is younger than me calling me by my first name, some child and they're disrespectful on top of it, I have, I have an issue with that. It is a tragedy when we do this to our children, all in the name of loving them. To love someone is to allow them to experience their life as it's presented to them and to be there, there for them in times when it's challenging. But life is not there to take the, the experience away from them. Children need to experience their experiences and feel the emotions and the outcomes that come from their experiences and then change and learn from them. And in that dynamic, they will grow. 
That's what will happen is that they will grow. They'll become mature adults. And the most important thing is that they will grow and they will learn how to feel empathy for another person. Because right now our children do not feel empathy. They just don't feel it. They don't feel for another human being because their, their whole focus is around them. Me. Oh, and me. Oh, oh, and me, me. And they don't consider that, oh, you exist too. And oh, you get disappointed too. And I affect you. Wow. I didn't realize that because no one has taught them. No one has directed their attention to the other because their environment is constantly just immersing them in, uh, this, this, uh, kind of goop. (laughs) I'm trying to think of an image, this self-centered goopiness. And we need to stop doing that because it's destroying these kids. They're growing up to become um, incapable of feeling and the outcomes are horrendous. The outcomes are addictions. The outcomes are distractions and control and anger and lustful behavior just off the charts. So I want to talk about why when children are not given the opportunity to feel these kind of outcomes in their life, what is actually happening to them? Why is it that they're becoming so self-centered? Why do they go there? Well, let me tell you just quickly when children or adults, but we're talking about kids, when children choose And they choose something that has an uncomfortable outcome. It could be anything. It could be, I stubbed my toe. It could be, I studied really hard and I got uh, a poor grade. Even though I studied, I dropped my computer on the ground. Um, I dropped my homework uh, paper in the mud puddle. I mean, whatever there's uncomfortable feelings. And when I have those experiences, I am experiencing my vulnerability. That's what it is. I'm experiencing vulnerability, which means I'm experiencing what the outcome of the experience slash choices were and are. Now, if I'm not validated inside that vulnerability and allowed to have the full experience of the outcomes, then I will never learn. I will be, um, like cut off or suspended from actual, the actual learning part of the experience. So if my, my mother or my, my parent comes in and says, don't worry about you dropping your paper in the mud puddle. Um, I will go print off another copy and I'll bring it to school. Or when I drop my computer, my parent says, don't worry about it. I'll go buy you another one. Or, um, if I, I can't remember my other examples, but anyways, if that experience is interrupted and I don't get to have the full experience of the outcome, then I start thinking that every time I do anything that causes discomfort, then I need to have someone, i.e. my parent or someone in my environment, interrupt that experience and make it better quickly, make it better. Take all the pain away, take all the discomfort away, take the consequence away. I don't want to feel it. And what that teaches a child slash an adult, but what that teaches a child is that when they choose nothing, quote unquote, uncomfortable ever happens. And so they become incredibly selfish 
Because the truth is, is that there are things that they are choosing all the time that have uncomfortable outcomes. But they, they demand that someone fix it. And they don't ever learn how to mature through the experience, which is what they're supposed to do. Children are supposed to learn how to make choices and have outcomes and learn through the discomfort of the outcome that life doesn't end, that, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world if they don't get a new computer, that um, when they turn their paper into their teacher and they say, I dropped it in a mud puddle, I'm so sorry, um, that the, the teacher says, I understand, we'll just let it sit here and dry out. I appreciate you getting your homework done. That there are outcomes that um, are necessary to teach them how to feel the experience and be in the reality of life so that they can mature through life. They can mature as they are growing up in life. It teaches them how to regulate their emotions. And it teaches them that life is vulnerable. Life is vulnerable. That if I put my foot behind a tire, the the car or the bike is going to run over my foot and it's going to hurt. And I might even have smashed toes. That there is always outcome and that they need to experience the outcome so that they can continue to grow and develop and mature in life. Now, let me introduce a concept called shame. Now, I've talked a lot about shame and I've talked a lot about guilt. And I want to talk about these two entities because the reason why children or adults become so selfish is because they go into this place called shame. Um, they sometimes when they make choices that, um, they know are wrong or are dishonest or violate their morals, they need to feel guilt and remorse and sadness and regret. But because these people in their life keep interrupting their choices and not allowing them to have the consequences and teaching them to blame others and compare and, you know, they teach them that they're unique or special or different or that um, they're a victim. These are all denial strategies or they can compartmentalize or they can just comply because their environment teaches them those things. They go into a place called shame because denial is all about Dishonesty. It's all about distortion. What's supposed to happen is that they're supposed to have an experience and then they get to choose. They get to choose to either connect with the experience, which means they show up in accountability. They show up understanding in humility. They meet their own expectations. They're emotionally honest. They're vulnerable. They um, are open, transparent. They're teachable. They uh, allow for mistakes uh, to, ha- to happen. They um, invite and accept feedback. They view embarrassment as temporary. They ask for help. They're willing to apologize. They know how to be humble. They'll learn from their mistakes. They're boundary. They acknowledge their humanness. They see that experience is temporary and situational. Those are all the things that, that children um, do or have the experience when they're allowed to have consequence. That's a lot. (coughs) However, 
if children choose and their environment slash the people in their environment don't support them to feel their consequences, then children will disconnect. (coughs) Excuse me. And it's kind of interesting because you'd think that not feeling the consequences would make them connect. But it's actually the antithesis. It's not experiencing the consequences of their choices, not experiencing the emotion that comes with the choice and the outcome that they need to feel. When they're not given the opportunity to do that, they will disconnect because what they're being taught is that they're not vulnerable. They're being taught that life and them are not vulnerable. Like they're not vulnerable in life that they can have a different experience than everybody else. And the truth is, is that that's not the truth. They are vulnerable. It's just that people in their world keep interrupting the choice and consequence uh, dynamic. And so they don't ever learn about their vulnerability. And so they feel like they're God. They feel like nothing bad ever happens to them. And that they can have whatever they want and they can do whatever they want and they can demand whatever they want. Oh, and by the way, they can demand you to do whatever they want. That is a state of disconnect. And here's how they show up when they are in that state of disconnect. Here are some characteristics. I'd get a piece of paper down and write this stuff down. When a person is disconnected, this is how they show up. Or, you know, slash a child. They are irresponsible. They blame. They're angry. They're resentful. They have expectations. Um, They're entitled. They have addictions. They lust. They're selfish. They feel humiliated, disgraced. They behave immorally or immodestly. They behave aggressive and entitled. They're afraid of receiving feedback and refuse to listen. They act deceitful and they're dishonest. They they, uh, act different and unique, like they're different and unique. They disconnect from not only themselves, but others and God. They're arrogant and selfish. They see mistakes are intolerable and not okay. They don't hold boundaries. They don't honor other people's boundaries. They act perfectionistic and judgmental of themselves and others. And they view experiences as permanent and absolute. Oh my goodness. What a horrible life to lead. Can you imagine living like that? That would be terrible. Absolutely terrible. So it all comes down to what they choose. And when people show up like that, they live in a disconnected experience. So I want to read to you a definition of shame. Because shame is the author or architect of people disconnecting. Okay. And, um, shame is another word for shame is distorted thinking or false beliefs. So shame is a painful searing emotion. It is an emotional response to self denigrating and self adulating thoughts or beliefs. And I'm going to explain what self denigrating and adulating thoughts mean here in a minute. Every person experiences shame. There is no way not to experience it. However, Because shame is an emotional outcome of lies and distortions, it is caustic and corrosive and will destroy your emotional, spiritual, and physical life if you choose 
to live in a place of shame. So another way to say that, if you choose to not experience choice and outcome and hold it in the reality of how it presents, if I drop my paper in a mud puddle, then the outcome is I have a wet paper. I have a wet paper. That's okay. Now, if I have time to go home and and change it out and get another paper, okay, great. But if I have a pattern that says every time something uncomfortable happens to me, then I have to have it um, fixed. And I don't ever experience the reality of, you know, sometimes I'm just not going to be able to get a new paper. I need to have those experiences because those are connecting experiences going and handing my teacher, my paper, when I have historically handed her very clean, fresh pieces of paper that have not been dropped in mud puddles. And I have a relationship and a history with her that I turn in clean looking homework. And so when I turn in this one day that I dropped it in a puddle, then he or she is compassionate towards me and says, I understand. I understand. No problem. Don't worry about it. I need those kind of experiences. Since I was a child, I've learned messages about myself that were distorted and inaccurate. These distorted thoughts produce the feeling of shame. So when I go into a distortion, which says, I don't have to feel outcomes, that's a distorted thought. If you choose not to change and be responsible for your distorted thoughts, you will remain and live in an ongoing state of shame. This ongoing feeling of shame is excruciatingly uncomfortable. And as humans, we will do almost anything to control it. Shame drives most human suffering. In attempts to escape the painful feeling of shame, we will use almost anything, anger, depression, fear, addiction, violence, suicide, all to control or distract from the feeling instead of reframing the beliefs behind the emotion of shame. And this division, excuse me, and this diversion of into control, distracting your feelings instead of reframing the thoughts that are creating the feelings. This is how shame entraps so many of us, even for our entire lives. If you do not reframe your distorted thoughts and false beliefs into the truth, shame will influence and affect your entire world, creating hopelessness and anger, perpetuating addictions, obliterating boundaries, causing caustic attitudes, enabling abuse towards yourself and others, and leaving a wake of destruction within you and behind you. Shame violates the truth about your power of choice by convincing you that you cannot or should not make choices. It will cause you to feel stuck and trapped and unable to change. Shame prevents you from becoming who you really are and who you really can be. Shame promotes a feeling of being forced or compelled, having no options and thinking in extreme black and white terms. Shame, which is distorted thoughts and false beliefs, offers promises or uh, excuse me offers promises of forgiveness through self-denial and self-punishment or through being better than others which is self self-adulation in all cases shame is based on the false premise that what you do somehow determines what you are that your worth and your value as an individual fluctuates depending on how much good you do or how good you feel this is a lie 
Shame is a lie. If you choose to believe the aggressive messages of your distorted thoughts and false beliefs, you will continue to experience life in a state of shame and self-hatred. It's pretty powerful. Shame. That's what is present when your child or you makes a choice and then doesn't have the accurate outcome of what that choice creates. Shame comes. Distortion comes. Because when you alter that, that outcome for them and you don't allow them to, uh, let's say they're mouthing off in class and you go in and you ball the teacher out because you don't want your son or daughter to take the consequences for choices they've just made, they will feel shame. Why? Because they know what they've done was wrong. When a child or an adult does something inappropriate, they know that what they've done is wrong. And instead of feeling appropriate remorse and guilt, they feel shame. That's what happens. And so shame is always the architect of disconnect. So it is, it is, I can't even think of a word that's strong enough. It is vitally necessary in order for your child or, or a, a child to grow up and become a healthy adult. They must make choices and they must experience the outcomes of their choices as authentically and accurately as they present themselves. Whether they choose to do something that is a violation to themselves or whether the choices of someone else affect them, they must have the experience where they keep it in the truth and they respond from a thoughtful uh, position where they feel emotions, they hold themselves accountable, they're emotionally honest, they stay vulnerable, and they validate themselves and the other person. So let's talk about guilt for a minute because guilt is the, is the, uh, well, I should say, uh, shame is the counterfeit of guilt. So guilt is a very mis misused and misunderstood word. Often when we say we feel guilty to express the idea of feeling bad or even simply feeling uncomfortable. In fact, guilt is a very specific experience with a very specific purpose. Guilt is the experience of dissonance or discord within your body and spirit. Guilt feels uncomfortable and emotionally painful. Its purpose is to get your attention, to alert you when you have thought, said, or done anything that violates your integrity, your beliefs, your morals, or ethics. Guilt is necessary. It is your ally. Without guilt, you would not know when you have done or said something inappropriate because you would not feel the disharmony of any inappropriate behavior you have perpetrated on yourself or another. Unfortunately, because guilt is so uncomfortable, many of us attempt to escape it, not by returning to our integrity, by re redressing the wrong or infraction we have committed, but by going into distortion, distraction, and denial. If you choose to react to guilt in this manner, you will experience immense shame instead of guilt. And we were just talking about that. Is that it's our responsibility to feel 
the weight of what we've done and not to hide from it. So choice, I want to keep going back to choice because I'm, I'm weaving a lot of concepts in here and I know that, um, it, it might be confusing for you. And, um, choice is always connected to whether I go into shame, which is self-denigration, self-adulation, and it causes disconnect, or I go into truth, which says I will be responsible. I will be emotionally honest. I will be vulnerable. I will validate. I will uh, be humble. And, and, um, those things will create connection. So it's all within my choice. And when I make a choice, there's always outcome. And so I get to experience the outcome, manage the outcome, be honest about the outcome, be responsible for the outcome and make choices that reflect integrity, that reflect emotional honesty, that reflect personal responsibility, that reflect a willingness to stay open and transparent and be compassionate and be vulnerable and validate. That's what I get to choose. Now, when I do not choose to choose truth, when I choose distortion instead of truth, when I choose shame instead of truth, um, here's what happens. Um, so when I have an experience, no matter who, what, when, why about the experience, I get to choose how I will perceive it, how I will feel it, and how I will respond to it. That's all up to me. It doesn't matter who I am, what's going on, when or why. I get to choose how I'm going to perceive my experience and how I'm going to feel it and how I'm going to respond to it. That's my choice. Okay. Now, children need to be taught that. Because with little children, we all know that, you know, when, when Sally drops her ice cream cone on the ground, um, she might perceive that her brother, you know, knocked it off her cone. And so she reaches over and hits him. Okay. And so parents have got to teach Sally that it's not okay to hit your brother and that it's not okay to poke Sally so that she, you know, was, was tipping her hand and her ice cream fell off. So both children have to be taught that the choices that they're making are affecting the other person and they're having outcomes. Sally's outcome was that she dropped her ice cream cone on the ground. Uh, her brother's outcome <coughs> was that Sally hit him <laughs> and he also got reprimanded by his parents for choices made. And so it's appropriate for children to have these kind of outcomes so that they can learn to do something different next time. So the next time Sally and her brother get an ice cream cone, the brother keeps his hands to himself because he's learned that if he bothers his sister, she might drop her ice cream cone again. And he doesn't want to be at all culpable for why it is that she dropped, dropped her ice cream cone on the ground. He doesn't want to get hit. And he doesn't want the feedback from his parents. And more importantly, he loves his sister. And he doesn't want to negatively, emotionally impact her. And so the goal is to help brother learn from an emotional standpoint that that is the main reason why he doesn't poke his sister. It's because he wants to be connected to her. 
connected. And that is something that parents and, and adults have to teach children because children don't just learn that naturally. They have to have experiences where there's emotional discomfort and then they have to have people validate them inside that emotional discomfort so that they know what it feels like to have discomfort. They've got to be taught how to feel uncomfortable and let them sit in it so that they know what discomfort feels like. They know what it means to be cold. So when mom says, Hey, get your coat on. It's snowing outside. They go, yes, ma'am. Because I remember last time when I chose not to get my coat on, mom didn't go back and get my coat and I was freezing my tail off and I learned and she was very loving and very validating and kept saying, wow, you look really cold. I'm sorry. You didn't choose to get your coat. And the child's like, I'm all upset. But boy, did I learn a lesson because mom did not interrupt my experience and take away my consequences. She let me have them because she loves me so that the next time I choose, I will remember that discomfort and I will get my coat. Consequences are absolutely necessary for all of us, but they start in childhood And if you came from an environment that did not teach you consequence, I'm sorry for that. That's really unfortunate because you are in a world of hurt because you are perceiving your world from a position of, I can do whatever I want. Nothing bad ever happens to me. And that just is not the truth. You have been bought and sold a lie. So I would invite you to humble your little soul and start practicing choice and accountability. And don't let anyone take your consequences away from you. Experience them. Let's pick up with talking about shame and the two different, what I like to call flavors of shame, self-adulating and self-denigration. So if you imagine a line and on one side of the line to the extreme part of the line is self-adulating, And on the other end of the line is self-denigration. The line represents dishonesty, it represents shame, it represents distorted thoughts and false beliefs, which all mean um, um, lies, okay? So there are two great lies. The first one's called self-adulation. So let me just educate you on what self-adulation is, because... When we go into distortion slash shame, we go into one or the other of these two lies. So, and so as I, as I share this with you, I want you to think about which sides you typically go into, because the truth is, is that you go to both. However, most of us have one flavor that's more, uh, we're more prone to go into it than the other. Self-adulation shows up as selfishness. Selfishness is the destroy of connect, destroyer of connection. It's the destroyer of vulnerability, validation, and compassion towards self and others. Though it is appropriate and loving to focus on self in order to give to self and take care of self and love self, yet selfishness only thinks of self. So self-adulation, here's the lie. Selfishness states that fulfillment, love, connection... And satisfaction are available by focusing exclusively on myself and only on what I want. That's the lie. 
Selfishness um, states that in order to be okay and fulfilled, you must seek out whatever you want and defend yourself from others or be better than others or hurt them before they hurt you. Selfishness always also tells you that you don't need others and that it's all within you. When you are in a self-adulating attitude, you will often not, not realize it because you manipulate, you control, you have anger and fear and motives that are self-serving. Uh, those motives will keep you reactionary and distracted from the truth of how you're affecting yourself and others. When someone behaves in this angle of what I want, when I want, because I want, I deserve to get what I want, they will be in a self-adulating position and therefore cannot accurately or authentically love oneself or others. So here's how self-adulation speaks. I'm perfect. There's no way to change. Don't question me. I don't care about you. I'm right. I get everything that I want. Do what I say. Don't you wish you were me? I know what's best for you. I'm better than you. You don't know. I do. I was born this way. It, it is me looking at me with a desire to get you or the other to do, be, act, or become what I want. When I focus on what I want, what I think, what I desire, feel, um, feel entitled to, or what I believe is mine or should be mine, and do not think of others or have empathy or compassion for anyone else, I am choosing to behave with selfish motives and desires. This is called self-adulation. It's also been known as pride. A person can never give love towards self or to another when they are in this mindset of me, 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 me. You cannot love yourself and hence you cannot love others. It may appear that the things you are doing are loving, but underneath the surface lies the true motives of your heart and those motives reveal your true character. When you are in self-adulation, your character will always be interested in the question, what about me? What I want? What I think I'm entitled to? Living in self-adulation will corrupt and taint anything, anyone, or any intention that you desire to be pure, connecting, and loving. Oh, so sad. Self-adulation. Let's look at the other side of that spectrum, self-denigration. The other end of the continuum is self-denigration, which is seen by many as healthy, though it is not. Self-denigration focuses on the quote-unquote other to the exclusion of the self. This pattern of self-denial has been highly reinforced, especially among women. Sometimes it's been called selflessness, which is self-denigration. Self-denigration has been seen as, desir as a desirable characteristic and necessary in order to be virtuous and a loving person. In reality, however, self-denigration is based on the great lie of selflessness. Like drop yourself, don't think of self, self doesn't matter. Self-denigration states that fulfillment, love, connection, and satisfaction are not available to you unless and until you give and give all of you to others. To meet others' needs, others' wants, others' demands and desires. You need to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of another. You don't, can't experience confidence, joy, or peace because you are bad, unworthy, and not enough. You don't, can't speak how you feel because it might upset someone else. You are responsible to make others happy, and you're not doing a very good job at it. You never do things right. You must work harder, give more, deny yourself more, neglect yourself more until you become better and perfect. You don't deserve to have love, relationships, money, and so forth until you give and serve. You should be more selfless. 
Wear yourself out in the service of others, and then you'll be okay. If you just give one more, if you're just better, then you'll finally be enough. How exhausting in reality self-denigration is, just as destructive as self-adulation. Self-denigration is based in distorted thoughts and false beliefs. It is the idea that I must give myself away to others in order to be good enough. Self-denigration is personally irresponsible and highly self-neglectful. It destroys connection, validation, and compassion towards myself and others. And if I continually engage in it, I will actually create intense feelings and behaviors of fear in the individual who is choosing to engage it. So if I continue living in self-denigration, I will keep fear around me. So here's what uh, self-denigration says. I don't deserve. I'm bad. I'm unworthy. You're better than I am. You're always right. I don't know what's right, but you do. Your needs are more important than mine. I don't have needs. My needs won't and can't be met. I'm not good enough. Um, I never do anything right. I can't. That's how it talks. Pretty aggressive, those two. So I just gave you a quick um, glimpse at self-adulation and self-denigration. Both of those are on the side of disconnect, shame, distortion, and false beliefs. So when I have an experience and I choose the... I make the choice to respond to the experience and I choose it in distortion. I will go into one of these two extremes, self-adulation or self-denigration. And what I need to learn how to do is make a choice so that I go into truth (laughs) instead of uh, one of these other two extremes. Because as long as I keep choosing and I make choices that have outcomes in distortion, then I, I won't be able to feel, um, you know, the connecting power of, um, love and my relationship. And I can't be vulnerable and I don't, I won't know how to validate. I've got to make choices inside the angle of truth because truth is where connection is. And in order to choose truth, it means I have to have the outcomes of my experiences. I have to feel the emotional response, whatever it may be, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant emotions. I must feel that emotional response that's connected to my experience. If I don't do that, I will never be able to have connection in my life. I have to feel the consequences of my choices. I have to. So please, please don't take those from your children and teach them that when they choose something or when they have something quote unquote happen to them, that they get to choose how they're going to respond and be there with them. Kind of like a cheerleader on the sidelines, coaching them, validating them, seeing them, witnessing them, but do not take their consequences away from them. Do not. It will harm them in such an immense way that they will not be able to grow up and become mature, responsible, emotionally honest, and vulnerable, validating adults if you do. So when children are born, 
They start off just emotional. They just sense things. They perceive things. They perceive experiences as safe or unsafe. They sense um, if they can have confidence in their environment, if they're safe in their environment. And at the same time, they're very egocentric. Everything revolves around them uh, because they're very emotional. And they're always checking out their world to see if it is safe or if it's unsafe, according to what they perceive. And then as they get a little bit older, you know, from a two year old, two years to about eight years, they start getting uh, more concrete. So they move from sensing their environment into concrete. They move into right, wrong, good, bad, black, white, those kind of things. And the world still revolves around them. They still are very egocentric. And um, they're learning how to desire autonomy and they're wanting to act independently because they want to have a sense of self-control. And so that's where they're at between the ages of two and about eight or nine years old. And then between like nine and 18, they start learning how to abstract and they start learning how to include others in their world. Like, oh, you're there too. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just all about me. And they start appreciating complexities and nuances and angles. And they start recognizing that they have intuition and they can make and follow through with commitments. And they see themselves as a separate entity. So kids go through this whole developmental span. And the things that are constant that they need is they need adults around them, specifically parents, to teach them about vulnerability that inside all of those developmental processes, they are vulnerable. They are vulnerable, which means that they are raw to experiencing life. They have choices that they make or choices that other people make that affect them. And so they need to experience the outcomes of those effects. So do not, do not take those away from them. Like I said, you can support them by saying, yeah, I see that you're upset or, you know, it really is uncomfortable to wake up and have a fever. I know how that feels. I'm so sorry. Let me see if I can um, get you some medicine. Well, can you take this away from me? The child says, you're like, I'm sorry, honey, I can't. It just means your body's sick and, you know, I can make you comfortable, but I can't take it away. Or if the child comes to you and says, um, I don't want to make my bed and I'm mad that I have to make my bed. A parent who is trying to teach their child how to grow up and be a mature adult will say, I know you don't want to make your bed. You'll validate them. And this is the thing that we do in our house is that we make our beds. And so I'd be more than happy to come in and sing to you while you make your bed, or I'm going to stay here in the kitchen and finish your lunch while you make your bed and you need to get your bed made. Um, or there'll be an outcome if you choose not to do that. Like you won't be able to ride your bike tonight or go to a friend's house or whatever the consequence is. And the kid's like, ah, I'm all upset. I'm even now more upset because now I can't ride my bike, but they learn. So when they choose not to make their bed, the parent that's trying to raise a mature, a, a healthy, emotionally honest uh, adult from a child will say, sorry, toots, you're not able to ride your bike tonight. I'm sorry that you chose not to make your bed. Hopefully you'll make it tomorrow so you can ride your bike tonight or tomorrow night. So 
these these choices that kids make will create these outcomes and these outcomes need to have consequences. So I'm going to just list off a whole lot of things. And if you want to get some paper here so you can write them down, you're welcome to, but um, you can just rewind it and listen to it later. But um, here are the things we need to teach our children. We need to teach our children. Um, we need to teach them to not only trust us, like their parents, their environment, but also themselves to trust themselves. I don't know how to make my bed. The child cries and you say, well, give it a shot. I've shown you how to do it. I've modeled how to do it several times. You just give it a shot and let's see how you do. You're teaching them that they can be capable, that they're competent, that they can follow through, that they know how to do things. Teach them that every time they choose, there is an outcome. The outcomes are their teachers of their choices. Don't interrupt those choices. Don't enable their choices. Don't confuse their choices with thoughts, beliefs of this isn't fair or you don't deserve this or this isn't right. Don't bring those distorted messages into their choices and their outcomes. And don't interrupt their choices or their outcomes. Don't enable their outcomes. Don't confuse their choices with, you know, don't confuse their choices and outcomes with, oh, I remember when I was their age, this was so hard, so I'm going to do it for them. Don't do that. Their life is not your life. It's very different. Teach them principles and let them govern themselves and let them have the outcomes, the age appropriate outcomes. Don't allow them to do something that will hurt them when they aren't mature enough to manage the experience, i.e. don't give a two-year-old a knife to cut his or her own apple, right? So you want to give kids outcomes. You want to have them choose and have outcomes, but don't have them have outcomes that are actually going to, you know, hurt them somehow. And I mean like, like devastatingly hurt them, like cut off a finger or something hurt them. Not hurt them, be uncomfortable. Let them be uncomfortable. Teach them how to work. And then model how to work for them. Teach them how to work by you modeling how to work. When my kids were growing up, I would, I would go out with them all the time and say, here's how you do this. Here's how you mow the lawn. Here's how you weed the yard. Here's how you prune the bushes. Here's how you pick up the dog poop. Here's how you wash the car. Here's how you clean the bathroom. Here's how you make a bed. Teach them how to sacrifice and give of self. Teach them how to be gracious and thankful for their life and everything that's in it. Teach them how to be compassionate towards others. Teach them how to acknowledge things that are greater than they are. Teach them how to respect themselves, others, and things, and life. Teach them how to be respectful of everything. Teach them how to clean and keep up their, um, and keep things organized and ordered. Teach them how to disagree without being aggressive, rude, or disrespectful. Teach them how to share ideas, thoughts, and feelings appropriately. Teach them how to be honest. Teach them how to be emotionally honest with themselves and others. Teach them how to ask for help. Teach them how to assert themselves and how to not take offense. Teach them how to be sensitive. Teach them how to validate themselves and others. Teach them how to be vulnerable and how to risk. Teach them how to repent and be um, thorough 
like in the repentance process, be a like thorough repentance process. So there's some podcasts on repentance. Repentance isn't just, sorry, there is a thorough process of repentance. There's like 10 steps. And I would encourage you to go and listen to the repentance process. I go through the whole thing, teach them how to forgive and how to surrender, teach them how to be humble and willing and open and transparent, teach them not to react to things, teach them how to respond to things. Teach them how to be empathic. Teach them how to be wrong and not go into shame. Teach them how to be humble and be able to accept their consequences. And teach them how to love and respect themselves and others. It's a lot of things, and there's many, many more. Those are just a, a, just a small sampling of what kids have to learn. Because if you don't teach them, they'll just kind of piece things together. They need to be actively taught. And, and parents will say, well, when do I teach them all this stuff? It's like, oh, my goodness. Every second of every day is an opportunity for teaching. If you can see it, if you can see it. So, like, I remember my, my um, growing or raising my kids. And um, let's say that they were uh, taking a bath, okay? And they're playing in the bath. They're splashing stuff all over the place. And then when we got done and they got all dressed, I brought them back in the bathroom and had them, you know, wipe up the floor with their towel. So they clean things up. Now I could have done that myself really, really easily, but I wanted to teach them how to be organized and cleanly and how to leave the spot that they just used clean. And so they would do that. And they'd always, you know, put the shampoo in the, in the spot where we kept the shampoo. So every, so the bathroom looked clean after we got done using it. And they were the ones that cleaned it up and they put their clothes in the, in the hamper. And then, um, you know, and I'd have them sort their clothes. I mean, there's always an opportunity to teach them about these principles. And the truth is, is that when children have these kind of outcomes, they feel good about themselves. Their spirit delights and desires to be inside truth, inside connection. Their, their soul likes order and cleanliness. Their soul likes to be respectful. Our spirits um, uh, do really well when we're honest and accountable for ourselves. So as children grow and develop, they are ready to learn more and more skills to mature and prepare them for their lives. The minute they are born, you are working your way out of a job of them needing you. You want to support them to not need you. So they are ready to rely on themselves and others and on their own wisdom that you have taught and imparted to them so they can continue to learn from their own life experiences. Dependent on the culture you were raised in, the years of adulthood vary. Either way, Children will physiologically become adults and need to be ready to enter into that phase of life. And we as parents need and have a responsibility to prepare them and get them there. We need to teach them about the power of their choice and their outcomes that their choices create. Choice is a gift. We need to teach them that, that it's a gift. Choice creates experience. Experience is necessary for us to continue in learning and growing and maturing. Choice is a power that yields outcomes, that teaches, and therefore progresses us through life. Children need you to teach them these principles and stand back and let them experience their life. Children need and desire accountability. 
They will feel empowered if they're held accountable. If they behave irresponsibly and are not held accountable, they will feel afraid because they know what they have done was wrong and that they didn't account for it. They didn't clean it up. Children are free agents, and for the most part, children are not as negatively impacted by shame because they haven't had as much time interacting with it as adults have. Therefore, children respond to consistent, clear, firm boundaries and bottom lines that parents give them that quickly follow their behavior. Children need to experience outcomes attached to their choices. When they behave inappropriately, the outcomes and consequences can include losing items or privileges or doing or working for others or simply the natural consequences that come from the choices. All inappropriateness, verbal and behavioral, needs to be followed up with a thorough process of consequence or slash repentance. As their parent, if you will be consistent and thorough on the front end of their poor and appropriate choices, they will learn and practice principles of truth on the back end. As they mature, they will have the skill set to recognize causality. Their choices cause their outcomes. They will recognize and empathize and clean things up if and when they choose to. And if your children are older, it is never too late to start. Every human being must learn these principles of truth, and any of us can learn them at any age if we're willing to choose that. So children need to be held accountable. Children need to be able to choose, and they need to be able to have outcomes. You can validate your children. You can hold them. You can cry with them. You can talk with them, but don't alter their outcomes. Don't take those away from them. Teach them that this experience is here to teach you. Um, Walk through it with them. And if you don't know how to walk through it with them, then find someone who can help you. So the first thing you're going to do when you walk through experience is you're going to feel the experience. You're going to identify the triggers. After you've done that, you're going to validate them in the experience. Third, you're going to explain why, if you can, like why it's happening and give them feedback. Four, you're going to identify those distortions and false beliefs. Five, you're going to make truth declarations with them. And six, if you need to, you're going to repent and clean up your part and show that you've affected others. Seven, you're going to sit with those people that you've affected and feel the pain you've caused if that's necessary. And then eight, you're going to make a plan not to repeat it. And nine, you'll make restitution with them. And ten, You will not break your plan. You will follow your plan and apologize again to the person that you've injured. Now, all of those steps, one through 10, there are podcasts that go with each one of those. So um, one through five, let's see, one through four, uh, where it says one is... Uh, identify the triggers. Two is validate the person. Three is give feedback. And four is identify false beliefs. That podcast, there's two podcasts called the raise process, R A I S E. And I think it's in the seventies and then steps five truth declarations. There is a podcast number 70 for truth declarations. And then six through 10, is the repentance process. And there's a podcast for that too. Just go look up repentance and you'll find it. 
So I have talked a lot about the power of choice and what consequences do for children to teach them how to grow up and be empathic, loving, caring, compassionate, honest, responsible, humble adults. The power of choice is, I believe, the greatest power we have as humans. We can direct, we can direct our lives in any direction we choose. And it's my assumption that all of us desire to make choices that would create connect, connection. Yet connection is governed by particular principles that you must choose to live by. No one can demand connection. And then the principles of a connection are, and I was just talking to you about the principles of connection. Um, principles of connection are um, honesty, responsibility, um, validation, being vulnerable, being humble. Those are the principles of validation or excuse me, of connection. Those characteristics are the governing powers of connection. You may choose to live in those or you may choose not to, but either way you will be responsible for what you choose, whether you choose to go into distortion, which is shame, self-adulation, self-denigration, distortion, distorted thoughts, false beliefs, or whether you choose to go into truth. And you also get to choose, you know, where you live. So you are responsible for what you choose and where you choose to live. And it is my hope that you will choose and teach your children to choose connection. Let them choose their choices and let them have the outcomes that follow. It is the greatest gift that you will ever give them because it will cause them to become connected adults. Bye-bye. We so appreciate you and your support in spreading this crucial message to your family, your friends, and your coworkers. Your greatest compliment to us would be for you to refer your loved ones to the podcast and classes at connectionsclassroom.com. Please go on to YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram and follow us for continual education, motivation, and truth. Stay connected, my friends.